today's episode of the Degenerate Business School is brought to you by Jesus of Nazareth, founder of Ancient Palestine's preeminent countercultural movement, and Jerusalem, the world's first monotheistic religious incubator since the times of Babylonia. It is Good Friday, the Lord's Day. Friday, April 19th. Jesus is risen. No, I think, wait, did he die today or? I think he uh, rises Sunday, right? Yeah. Dead today, rises Sunday. Yeah. He does it once a year. Uh, arguably one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. <laughs> <laughs> that and. Uh, and oh, second only to Tiger, maybe? Tiger. So, oh man. So you got Tiger coming back from the dead. You got Jesus coming back from the dead. And then the Pats against the Falcons in the Super Bowl. Top three? Top All three. Time. Yeah, I think it's about right. <laughs> Do we consider like the American Revolution a comeback win? Potentially. Yeah, I could see that. It was in doubt for it was in doubt at the beginning. Strong comeback win. I mean, there's uh, who's that guy who beat Mike Tyson? Uh, Vander Hol- Oh, Buster, Buster Douglas. Douglas. The, yeah. The, yeah, that wasn't a comeback though. He was just never expected to win. Are you okay in cinematic yeah, history? I guess you, I guess he never made it there, so uh-huh. he couldn't have come back. Uh-huh. Fair, fair enough. That that probably would have been a better idea for this podcast. Today, now that I'm thinking about it, the greatest business comebacks of all time. I mean, who's to say we can't do it now? Okay, well, let's. let's we have editing software. We can do whatever we want. Uh, <clears throat> it's GarageBand. That's our editing software. <laughs> but it, but it's it's connected to a very nice microphone. Okay, so uh, something that comes to mind. Not now, obviously, although it's uh, germane to earnings season. So IBM, secular revenue decline, it's not coming back. But in the early 90s, IBM was in a situation where it had come out of the, basically like the first hardware integration boom that it had been like at the spear, spear point for. Right. And then it became like an integrated business solutions company. Um, and the CEO at the time, whose name I can't remember, he wrote this memoir called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance, which is a stupid, horrible title. But it's basically about how he brought IBM back from the brink of its secular decline at the time. Now it's back on the struggle bus, but like that was a big turnaround success story. All right. Um so that's one I thought that's of one. just now. What comes to mind for me is uh, Microsoft. While it didn't technically yeah. reach the brink... That's a good one. From a stock perspective, it was stuck at $35 for ever. Well, just zooming out on it, so you have... <clears throat> and Benjamin Thompson has written about this lengthily. Microsoft was a monopoly, right? right? Uh, 
and he actually draws a parallel between Microsoft and IBM when it was on the brink in the period in the early 90s that I'm talking about, because IBM was essentially a computing monopoly. When companies become monopolies, they perpetuate horrific cultures where everyone's complacent and no one innovates. And in Microsoft's case, they become a monopoly in enterprise software. And then Steve Ballmer takes over and just misses mobile completely. Right. He's like, mobile, that's nothing. Let's do, I don't know. They weren't doing anything for they, a while. They just didn't do mobile. I guess it was mistake. just Xbox and Windows was carrying them? Xbox is pretty cool. It's pretty good. Is it? Well, I think, I don't know. He was like, he seemed to be like orthogonally focused on hardware. But in any case, you get Balmer deposed. One of the greatest cases of failing up in human history, Steve Balmer, because he owns the Clippers now. Just He's doing something right. Almost single-handedly destroys Microsoft forever. And then leaves. Now he owns the Clippers. Then you bring in Satya. And he's like, he gets it. I learned this from him. The cloud is everything. Azure, enterprise cloud solutions, they're all in on that now. They miss mobile. It's over. Sure. But it seems to me like... But now they're back because they're, what, one of the biggest three enterprise cloud solution companies out there. They're one of the three biggest companies, period. Period. Uh, but it, it seems to me like they simply benefited from being one of the biggest players to exist because at this point, anyone who does anything with the cloud is more or less successful. Yeah, that's right. You can't you can't go wrong. And we're going to hit on that later. We will. In the context of Pinterest, who went public this week, I still know what a Pinterest is. You certainly don't know what it is. No idea. And I don't think we'll ever figure it out. Yeah, no. If it's not in the cloud, I don't think I'm. <laughs> I don't think I'm interested enough to. Well, it's in a cloud. It's not in the cloud. Okay, fair enough. All right. Uh, other than that, greatest business comebacks of all time. Um, I mean, I wish we had prepared. It's a good one. I mean, you could make a case for Apple, but I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of. Of Apple as a uh, yeah, as a to, company, uh, arguably Apple's at the top of the list, though. Well, you don't like it now. One, it's a hardware, and I agree with It's you. a hardware company. How do you justify a billion dollar, a trillion dollar valuation? Oh yeah, it's not in the cloud. They're trying. They're posing as a cloud diversification company. They're not going to make it. This TV four is stupid. You're right. They they hit a one time generational grand slam. With the iPhone. The invention of the iPhone. Changed everyone's life forever. Changed everyone's social fabric. But now it's it's only failure from here. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, in 20 to 30 years, will you actually be carrying around a smartphone anymore? See, I, I honestly wish instead of doing the greatest comebacks, we were doing the greatest uh, face plants. <laughs> And and I'm hoping that we can do that in a few weeks when the Clippers inevitably beat <laughs> the Warriors. I have a lot of money right now. Full disclosure. Yes, that's that's why I'm going that way. I'm not a Clippers fan, but mm-hmm. for the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Because then, I, I do believe that Apple is set up to faceplant spectacularly if it doesn't successfully 
diversify. Diversify into the service. Which it won't, right? And this is, um, well, okay. Drawing a through line to, okay, you have the IBM comeback story, which is, uh, and the Microsoft one in parallel, which is in effect, a company that was a monopoly goes through a transition by which the culture of the monopoly is dismantled and it diversifies into something large and strategic that is lucrative, um, in the case of IBM, it's going from just like a hardware computing business business to like an enterprise solution business. In the case of Microsoft, it's going from just a business software company to a failed consumer hardware company to a cloud company. Apple, it was failing in the PC market, and then it just invents a new category with the iPod and the iPhone, right? Correct. So, potentially, I'm, I'm with you. In the long game, you probably go short on Apple stock if we're running our fictional hedge fund, right. Nunez and Graham partners. Or, you know, probably just Graham. You could work for me. Yeah, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's be honest. If we're trying to attract money, Nunez is not going to get the job done. But Nuns, though. We'll just say it's nuns. That, that'll work. <laughs> Graham and nuns. Arguably, uh, Apple could float along for a while with this attempted diversification. What concerns me about Apple, they talk about services vaguely, right? So they still have a chokehold on the, obviously the podcast ecosystem, the applications ecosystem, right? But they're so far behind in enterprise cloud solutions of any varietal that the market they're tapping into just doesn't have the agnostic upside that enterprise cloud solutions has. Right. And, and I think you see that in most of the things they're trying to get into. Um, they're trying to get into the content, Mm -hmm. uh, content universe. Clearly a Hail Mary. Yes. Yes. And I think ultimately what might be the saving grace is that they're sitting on, an obscene amount of money so they can just buy whatever they want and survive that way. But they're not going to innovate their way out of. Well, to some extent, the, so think about it this way. Okay. It's a good point. They're doing that now, right? right? Um, if you think about the way that they ultimately have to manage their portfolio relative to the way Amazon, or even Google, has to manage their portfolio of investments, right? So Amazon was losing money forever. It had it now has this profitability engine in Amazon Web Services, but it can still be it still has this massive license with the street to just fuck around with. We're gonna try Whole Foods. Um, we're gonna basically build a uh, online retail platform that doesn't make money, and we're going to chronically manage like low expectations and horizontal growth all the time and not care, care at all about profitability. And we can try content and we can try any number of potentially uh, distracting alternative investments. Google is doing the same thing when they created the alphabet structure, they're doing all this stuff off book in the moonshot department that they can basically lose money on and hedge it against their advertising business. 
and they've set that expectation with the street and they get credit for it in their valuation. Apple, anytime they corrode their bottom line or don't talk about iPhones, it's like a straight jacket externally that doesn't allow them to do the same, I guess, like portfolio building and risk taking that these companies can do. Right. And I think the reason for that is AWS is in zero risk of not making money. Uh, in fact, it just continues to exponentially increase. Same with same with Microsoft's cloud product. Um, every every time we hear about Apple either reporting earnings or giving guidance, it's like, hey, well, we're not going to report iPhone numbers anymore. Why? Because they're clearly dropping. Right. At some point, people will catch on to the fact that you're not going to be selling 50 million iPhones per quarter for the rest of your life. Right. If you don't innovate your way out of this it really shortens the leash that they have on spending money frivolously in an attempt to hit the next Hail Mary. Exactly. And so to that extent, they're a victim of being too successful. And this is a dogma of the Trace Comas Club. You can't make money. Correct. You have to lose money. Correct. Or you can make money, but make money in a less impressive way. On a less impressive trajectory. (laughs) Seems to be the lesson here. Okay. So, we had a completely different agenda. We did. We're just just diverging. But I think I can tether this into something we wanted to talk about anyway. Which is... Okay. We talked about Apple seems to be distracting itself. Or just... I would say aping other companies in the entertainment Silicon Valley sphere going into programming, right? So Netflix, they reported earnings this week. The actual first quarter earnings profile was good. Strong to quite strong, I think you'd agree. Yeah, absolutely. So subscriber growth was robust. They beat on EPS. They had a rough Friday last week because Disney Plus announced. Right. But they basically... Uh, took a dump when they announced because they revised their second quarter earnings at first, and then it kind of oscillated around and normalized back up by the end of the week. Right. I feel like the second quarter quarter earnings forecast and subscriber outlook is a sandbag. Do you agree? I I would agree. I've seen... I've seen Netflix many times beat and miss earnings, but the guidance they gave was, at least on the EPS front was so far short of of the expectations that I feel like you're sort of just riding the coattails of, of Disney and saying, hey, well, that launch, this sort of gives us an opportunity to sandbag so that when we report next. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of like a brilliant form of externally managing the story. Disney Plus gets announced... Disney, by the way, gets way too much credit just credit just for announcing the service that everyone knew they were going to announce anyway. Right. Which, as a Disney shareholder, <laughs> I love because it's just it's really hanging up there in the one thirties, which it does not deserve. <laughs> uh, but I I think you're right. Knowing that Netflix is going to pay a an equity penalty for what Disney is just announcing. This seems like a perfect time to completely rip the cord and sandbag everyone's expectations for the rest of the year. Yeah, and and we saw we saw that when that first came out, the stock fell substantially, and then it spiked and ultimately normalized. And I think it's because the street sort of realizes that one, 
these things aren't as big a threat as you'd think, and the outlook still remains rather bright, at least in the short to intermediate future. Um, ultimately, I still wouldn't buy it just because... The options are too expensive. They are. But uh, but if you've already been in the game, how long should you stay in the game? Um, Let's say you bought Netflix two years ago and you're just... You're loving the drug. No one's performed better over the last two years than our boys in Netflix. I mean, to be honest with you, if I bought Netflix two years ago, I would probably try to get out before the end of the year just because you've made an obscene amount of money. And I can tell you this because I was in Netflix <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I think 2019... Peak Netflix. Largely, Peak Netflix. largely because we all know what's coming in 2020. Uh, the Great Oil Crisis, obviously. And <laughs> and to a greater extent, the end of the world. With, the, the end of the world, the apocalypse. Yeah, right. Uh, but let's just, if you're, your short-term investment strategy, if you're, if you're just buy and hold on Netflix, and you've held it for the last two years, I'm not naming any names, but we're talking about me, okay. <laughs> I told you this because I said it last week, and I never follow my own advice. Maybe exactly now is the time to sell Netflix, and I didn't do it. I still feel like because they sandbag second quarter, they're gonna have one at least one rally in the next earning cycle that will justify holding on to it a little longer, but I think you should exit it probably no later than the third quarter earnings call because Disney Plus launches in November. So I feel like that is the Mendoza line for when you should get out of Netflix. Now, will you actually get out of Netflix? <sighs> I think I will. All right. I think I will. All right. um, what will I do with the surplus? I don't know. You've got Assuming time. it's still a surplus. You've got time. I've got time. Now, what I won't do is I'm not going to... Just because Netflix is at peak Netflix. And really, if we zoom out on it all, Netflix has been dunking on every other video distributor from a product standpoint. They right. completely changed like <laughs> the product interface for every video provider. Ultimately, I'm not going to diversify into Apple because Apple is replicating a video strategy. That seems like a waste of time. Right. Um, ultimately, any upside that Apple could possibly get out of out of getting into the video business would largely underperform whatever you're having out of whatever you're getting out of Netflix. So if you're getting out of Netflix, it, it makes no sense to go in that direction. Alternatively, I'm already in Disney because I played it beautifully, and I knew this day would come. You're a genius. You're welcome. Uh, what would you do if you were scouting buying Disney now? I'll tell you what I would do. There's probably an irrational exuberance, even though it's plateaued, shockingly, where it is. I would give it probably two earning cycles before the product actually launches. If you're, if you feel like you missed the boat on Disney, but you're still bullish on the direct consumer play that they're making wait two earnings cycles because they could see like a correction down before the service actually launches. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't come near the stock at its current levels. I, I feel like to your point, we've known about the the impending launch of, of their new service for at least the duration of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
I feel like that space is getting overcrowded with every single content creator going direct to consumer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, I, I keep going back to their forecast, which was laughably, uh, sandbag, sandbag. Mm. Um, so no, I wouldn't touch that. I wouldn't come close to it. Now let's circle back Mm -hmm. to a favorite theme of ours. The theme, probably, well, one of the two greatest themes of season one of this podcast, <laughs> which is the cloud is everything. Correct. Uh, but maybe we could give people a little more clarity on what we're actually talking about in the cloud. When we say the cloud, what we really mean is uh, software-centric uh business-oriented enterprise solutions companies. So it's a bit long-winded, but as always, we're ahead of the curve. So Wall Street Journal, to their credit, they're trying to put some perspective on the IPO of Pinterest and Zoom, which, again, we don't know what a Pinterest is. We don't know why it's going public. We don't know why anyone's excited about them going public. But they go public this week, they sandbag their valuation because they learned from Lyft not to try to put too much money on the table going to the public markets. But despite being sandbagged, still at least $10 billion. Yeah. For pictures of pies? I think. Seems to be? I think so. Pies. About right. Artisanal home crafts. Seems to be. Yeah. Okay. But I don't think... They're selling them. I think it's just pictures. It's a social media platform for sharing recipes. And crafts. And crafts. As best as I can tell. Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> okay. So, Wall Street Journal, trying to put this in perspective, brought up something that is very instructive, I think, if you believe the cloud is everything, which we do. And they compared... The IPOs that have happened since 2016. So you're kind of leaving out, let's say, the big consumer tech unicorns that we all know about. Facebook, Google, Amazon, they've already happened. They've been around. Right. But these kind of like late-breaking entrants in the consumer tech IPO space, anyone who's gone public since 2016, and I think they compiled 13 consumer tech companies, the median growth in stock price has been about 15%, 1.5. Compare that to business software IPOs over the same interval, and they compiled about 50 of them because they're way more obscure. Right. They're not as flashy. Return profile of 126%. Is that from IPO to now? Yes. Wow. Yes. I think they do some waiting with it and like right. normalize for tenure. But obviously... I think this is a pillar of our strategy. So in the past, we've talked about Amazon Enterprise Cloud Solutions. Correct. Microsoft Enterprise Cloud. Google Enterprise Cloud. But I think if you're looking for a little more beta, this is something I've been doing over the last couple of years. Look at companies you might not exactly think of as Enterprise Cloud. Another one definitely prominent is CRM. We've been transparent about that. We're both long on CRM. But a couple of other ones that I've had in my portfolio that have performed very well. Workday, Enterprise, Cloud Solutions. Uh, Tableau, 
Enterprise Cloud, Business Software, HubSpot, Enterprise Cloud, Adobe, all have been very lucrative over the last year. And I think if you're looking for incremental beta and you want to invest more in the cloud, good place to go is research on the more obscure enterprise cloud companies. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is that when these companies go public, they don't have quite the same level of of exuberance around them because customers aren't going to recognize something like a Zoom. No. Right? Um, unless you actually know the world of, of enterprise uh, software and whatnot, a lot of these names don't mean a whole lot to you, right? But when you right. hear something like Lyft, it's like everyone knows what that is. Everyone wants a piece of it. And we've seen how that's done. Yeah, and well, <clears throat> at the end of it all, it's it's actually easy under, easy to understand when you think about it because part of it is... There's so much money in the private markets if you want to start a really capital-intensive consumer tech company like Lyft or Uber that actually doesn't have to make money. Right. The beauty of an enterprise cloud company is it's not capital-intensive at all. So you actually all you need is a software platform that drives value to enterprises which have deep pockets and you basically can create one software platform, continue to upgrade it over time, obviously, but it's a, it's not even like a capital fixed cost model. It's like a super low cost software maintenance model. And then you can charge pretty exorbitant margins to enterprises just to deliver a service. And perfect example of this, a little more obscure is HubSpot, which basically does like software Enterprise Solutions, CRM, obviously, obviously, is one of the originators of this. But that's the beauty of it, that there's a really low cost profile. The market they're prospecting is basically the entire sea of every American enterprise that's an incumbent. Ton of opportunity to fleece margin out of these massive companies. Whereas Pinterest, it's just an advertising model by another name. Right. And, and I mean, we can think of Snap in the same way which is essentially advertising, but the mm. problem is Facebook has such a monopoly on that that these companies are never going to uh, give you the same sort of return that the enterprise the enterprise uh, software companies can. And in a like, company like Snap or Pinterest, who's to say how durable the model is? How durable the audience is, right? And if it's, if it's millennials, we know it's... It's just a fad. Correct. A company like Salesforce that at the end of it all is providing a service that is applicable to multiple enterprises across multiple industries, right? Right. Uh, A CRM system uh, and is scalable uh, and easily scalable because it's a software solution. Uh, Ultimately, like that's a durable economic model that interacts with this broader ecosystem so business enterprise software you should build your entire retirement portfolio on and that's what i'm doing so follow me and then take a flyer on maersk because why not global shipping 2020 (laughs) crisis at least uh at least when the apocalypse happens next year you'll have some money in your pocket yeah that's right 
Yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. But I have started following you, as as you'll <laughs> recall, I did recommend uh, CRM yes. last week. Yeah. So How are we doing? Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. The details are not important at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. So in the last week, it's gone from about one hundred and sixty one dollars to one hundred and fifty six. Tough beat. Yeah. But I'm still bullish overall. Yeah. No. I mean. There's a reason. There's a reason we buy the the longer term options. We're not trying to, we're not trying to speak to its uh, trajectory in the next couple of weeks. But uh, it's not been great. All right. Should we move to your scorecard? All right. We can we can move to my scorecard. Okay. Um. So we mentioned. I mentioned last week that uh, I was getting out of Cisco. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so officially, uh, we get to record that one as a win. Um, I did get back into Cisco a couple of days ago, so nothing's, nothing's changed there, but I'm essentially restarting the clock on that one. Good job by you. Um, so yeah, nothing's changed. Other than Cisco, I own still Aurora, where the option is up 48 versus the S&P being up 5, still a win. Mm-hmm. Um, CVS is still not doing well. And, Still very much angry about that one. <laughs> but they report in about two weeks. So hopefully hopefully there's uh there'll be an end to this soon. And if it happens to be an L, so be it. And uh, as you mentioned, CRM not doing great. Um CRM is the options anyway are down seven percent versus the S P being up half a percent. So current holdings not doing the best. Um Recorded holdings, sorry, recorded, uh, yeah, things that I've held already, 3-0. So. 3-0, uh, plus, I would say, on the basis of Cisco alone, your weighted return is spectacular. Oh, absolutely. A, a quick check-in for me, Berta. Lay it on me. I'm going to lay it on you. Big win, Maersk, the Danish shipping conglomerate. Who the hell would have thought? Who would have would have thought? And I honestly couldn't tell you why this is happening. I bought them at six dollars and eighty cents. You bought them because they're the largest. Uh, it's a twenty twenty play. Yeah, they're the largest shipping conglomerate in the world, and we are betting when the great oil crisis of twenty twenty comes to pass and the IMO regulations go into global shipping, it will put a lot of Mickey Mouse carriers out of business and more freight. Uh, Freight margin will go to the biggest players, and Maersk is the biggest global player. Correct. But for reasons I don't understand, in the last week, more actually, I bought it at 680. It's gone up near 10%. It's now trading, it closed at 747. Very nice. Strong to quite strong. Now, Boeing, which we talked about, and I failed to follow my own advice at first when I said stay the fuck away from Boeing, which was sound advice. And then I took a flyer on it because it seemed that Boeing would just plateau uh, where it was and then uh, reach its price target at the time, which was still $440. Good news here is, and I'm just you know uh, glad that it hasn't spiraled out of control, it is basically plateauing at about $380 a share, which honestly makes no sense because every headline about Boeing is a fucking disaster. And yet... Every price target target's been reduced, and yet 
it's just plateaued at about $380 if you just like do a straight line ever since the Ethiopia crash news. So I can't make heads or tails of Boeing. I'm going to stay in it just out of pure pride just to see what happens. <laughs> uh, but definitely you should never have listened to me in the first place when I was blathering on about it. So yeah, but Maersk, good job by me. It'll probably go back to $5 next week. But for now. But I'm not making any promises on that one for tw- until 2020. And ExxonMobil has been roughly static. We talked about it last week. Potential ver- uh, diversification play into Valero. Because Which, James made the uh, very astute recommendation the bubble for certain will probably come to refiners. Uh, which was uh, good guidance, I think. But ExxonMobil, not a bad play. It's just diversified. But don't expect anything out of that until 2020 either. Which, no pressure, James, but Valero is flat. (laughs) I know this because I I did look into uh, buying a position into Valero. Uh Uh-huh. My limit price was never met, so the the order never went through. But I've been keeping an eye on it, and I will eventually buy into Valero. Me too. Uh, I actually just like was too lazy to do anything this week, so I didn't even look at it. Okay. But I'm glad you did. I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's. I am at the end of it all. I have to go in on 2020 apocalypse, and, and I, so do you. I will join you when the time comes. I'm just. Uh, I'm trying. But you you have until December 31st, 2019. I do. I do, and I'm trying to ride these uh, these calm waters while I still can. All right. So good. Alright. As always, you're welcome, America. Farewell. Farewell.